This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. The Premier League closes for the final international break of the year tonight, but what a match to finish on as Liverpool travel to the Etihad Stadium to take on Manchester City. Hopefully you've caught our Poetry in Motion, Blood Red and Liverpool.com podcasts in recent days, but this podcast focuses purely on the side who I think it's fair to say will be the biggest dangers to Liverpool retaining the title they won so impressively last season. I'm Paul Wheelock and to help me get the lowdown on how City are shaping up for what is the biggest game of this season so far, I picked up the phone to Simon Baikowski, who covers Pep Guardiola's side for the Manchester Evening News. The impact of Ferran Torres, Guardiola's future, and whether his team have truly improved in defence following the signings of Ruben Diaz and Nathan Ake, we get through a lot of topics over the next 20 minutes or so. I hope you enjoy the podcast and please come back after the match when hopefully Guy Clark will be bringing you a very happy post-game podcast. Behind Enemy Lines on the Blood Red Channel. Hi Simon, thank you very much for, for joining me on the podcast. Are you okay? Yes, yeah, good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Really looking forward to, to this one on Sunday. It does feel like the the biggest match of the season so far, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. There's kind of been a sense that this will be the sort of it'll tell us a lot about both teams. I think um, after a, a very weird start to the season. Yeah, it is. It is weird. I was going to say that because these games are always big matches and you know as we rightly say there you, you look at the current table this isn't going to be any different but as a reporter and, and one of the few people who can attend matches at the moment is the lead up to games a bit different for yourself and, and do you feel that with the players and managers purely because you know fans are not going to be at a, a game like this on Sunday yeah it, it does feel like everything has a kind of detached feel um more like pre-season friendlies than than any kind of important matches with anything riding on it, um, as sort of has been said um, by by other more important people than than me. But it, it certainly feels like it was a bit of a novelty at first, but it very very quickly wore off. And uh, I can't say you know it's a privilege to be able to go to games. I can't say it's been enjoyable um, to to watch matches in the stadium since. Uh, they went back without fans, and it, it. You think back to sort of that um, 2019 game between City and Liverpool at, at the Etihad, and you know that was kind of the best advert for the the Premier League you could hope for. Really, two fantastic teams going at each other um, could have gone anyway. The scoreline and and both sets of fans contributing to making it such a you know a, a really good game and advert um, for the league, and you know as. As good as the football may be on Sunday, um, I don't imagine as you know an overall package it's, it's going to come anywhere close to to what it could have been. No, I agree. I think everyone's just trying to make the the best of a possible worst situation at the moment, aren't they? And I suppose credit to the to the players and coaches for what's put, being put on a pretty good spectacle in the, in the circumstances. Uh, yes, City have obviously played the the part in that so far this season. Weirdly, is the, the kind of game that stands out for me is the the, the five two defeat at home to Leicester. But when I was uh, prepping for this podcast, since then they've, they've been going about the the business quite quietly and efficiently, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so that I would say it's too early to judge what City are like this season. Um, but the prevailing two ideas are one that 
Um, they still haven't fixed the consistency issues and the defensive issues that that hurt them last season. Um, they're struggling to create goals um, as well. So still they've got problems in, in both boxes and coming up against a good team such as Liverpool will find that out. And the other theory is that in improving the defence, they've kind of... Um, that has taken a step off the the attack. So they're not scoring as many goals, but they're not conceding as many goals and they're scoring more than they concede. So they're winning most games um, and, you know, a narrow victory over, over Liverpool at the weekend would kind of add to that theory. So, so we're not sure. I think they're still, to be honest, just really struggling from that lack of pre-season and mm-hmm. they've just not got the rhythm that, that they had, but they have improved defensively um, with Diaz and Aki coming in and Laporte being fit again. So, it, yeah, they've, they've kind of gone against the general trend of more goals this season, um, but they do look a bit firmer. Yeah, I'll probably continue on both of those points there because, yeah, I was, was looking five clean sheets from, from the last eight of, of Diaz and, and Ake and obviously the report uh, the return of Laporte, who's such a, a great player. It, it, the new boys, have they made an impact straight away? Yeah, Diaz has come straight in, really. He played six in a row before being rested in, in midweek, which, again, in being rested kind of showed how important he has become. But it, it, it's kind of come off better than the club could have expected, I think, because, I mean, they were interested in, in Diaz in summer, but they were also interested in a number of other centre-backs. It wasn't the case that they had this number one target and uh, and then sort of backup options. They sort of had a range of defenders that they thought could do the job, but, you know, there were, there were doubts about all of them. So for Diaz to come in and make such an impact... Um, slot straight into the team and sort of show a bit of leadership. Um, they've been short of, of leadership since Vincent Company left. So uh, really, they couldn't have asked for a, a better start from from Diaz. And what was also significant about midweek, um, you know, Olympiacos, I know, great, great shakes. But, you know, to, to keep a clean sheet with Nathan Aki and John Stones at the back, mm-hmm. well, last season they couldn't keep a clean sheet with the best two defenders Really, so um, to keep on with sort of your your third and fourth choice, if if Stones can even be considered fourth choice, is um, is a significant improvement. Looking from the outside, it seems like the the centre back position, is, as you rightly said, there has improved considerably. But has Pep still got problems on that left side of defence, the left back position? And do you think maybe Ake could even play there on Sunday, given you know Liverpool's threats down there, the, down the flank? Yeah, um, still got problems with left back. Uh, looks at signing a left back in the window. Nothing worked out, but uh, Mendy is injured again, so we'll miss the game. Um, I think Ake could be an option at left back um, for Liverpool. It depends on how Guardiola wants to play it. I think um, I think going back to the two one in twenty nineteen, I think Laporte actually played mm-hmm. left back um, to keep Salah quiet. Um, so I could see Aki playing there. My one thing with that would be that um, Aki still isn't up to speed with how Guardiola usually wants his, his fullbacks to play, which is coming forward and inside kind of a defensive midfield position uh, as the team goes forward. I don't think Aki's quite 
quite there with that yet. And he's not played fullback yet, really. So he's not been um, tested there. But, I mean, in the Arsenal games that he played, an absolutely wild formation that was kind of notionally yeah. three at the back with Aki on the left of that. So um, if Guardiola, ha- I mean, he will have a specific plan for Liverpool if he goes more defensive than he normally does. Um, I think Ake is a shout, but I wonder with a stronger centre whether he might have the confidence to play say Cancelo at left-back and trust that that extra support on the left from from Laporte will will be enough. Yeah, we talked about the uh, the improved defensive aspects of the game and you touched on it a moment ago uh, about the attack. Maybe there's not an, as many chances being created this season and, and something that whenever I watch City, this wonderful football team, and I know certainly last season it was all about the defence, the defence. I sometimes think they don't take enough chances. They create, in the past, they've created so many and they're actually not ruthless enough. Is that a, a fair accusation at times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're uh, they're very wasteful at times. Um, and even if they're not massively wasteful, they're wasteful at critical moments. Um, and that certainly cost them last season. I think the worry this season more than anything has been they've not been creating that many good chances. Um, you know, which is where I think the I don't the argument or the defence that they haven't had Jesus Naguero for much of the season falls down because, you know, if it was the case that they had someone playing centre forward who just couldn't take all the chances, then that was fine. But they've really struggled um in that midfield and from the wide positions um, to break teams down and to get in behind teams and make the sort of good chances that they're scoring from, Um, you know, a bit more luck in the Champions League, but, you know, Sheffield United, um, they scored from a shot from outside the box, didn't create too much else. West Ham created very little Um, Arsenal again. So, it's um, it's been a creativity problem this season as much as as finishing. Um, I don't. It's easy to say, oh, they're missing David Silver. Um, they're not missing David Silver in the sense that it's been a few seasons since David Silver was at his best. Mm-hmm. But they haven't quite settled on that midfield trio that um, that made them sort of so untouchable for two years. Bernardo Silva, what's he playing like? I remember that game at the SCA that we've, we've referenced a couple of times and he was absolutely astonishing. And I know he's had a, a few run-ins on social media with uh, with Liverpool <laughs> fans, so I'm not sure. Maybe our Liverpool listeners would like me asking a question about how he's playing. But, you know, I take away all that aside, he is a, a great footballer. But is he is he fallen a bit in terms of his standards since, since that season and that kind of game? Yeah, I would say so. Um but also his role has changed, so it's not quite clear what his um, what his role is in the team. Um, I would say. I mean, he was the best player in the league that season, um, and then went away with Portugal in the Nations League and was the best player as they won the that final. Um, and then last year there was a drop off. It. I mean, Guardiola puts it down to him simply being exhausted and playing too much football. Um, I think. You know there were there were other issues as well, um, and his suspension um, certainly didn't didn't help uh, last year in terms of you know him being at his best. There there are signs that, or there were signs that he was coming back to his best. He played very well in the one 0 win over Arsenal, um, but since then, um, 
he's he's been all right. He's not been brilliant. He's kind of no one quite knows what to make of him. I think you know when he was at his best in that eighteen nineteen season, he was the main man in the team mm. and he was playing because De Bruyne was out for basically the whole season. Um, so now that De Bruyne isn't out, it's kind of where do you play? Do you play him alongside De Bruyne in the middle, or do you play him out? wide um on the right or the it there doesn't seem to be quite that same um sense whereas that year it was bernardo is the first name on the team sheet now he isn't and there's a bit of uncertainty about where to get the best out of him behind enemy lines on the blood red channel I just want to ask you about uh, Farron Torres. He was a link with Liverpool, along with most of the top clubs in Europe, before signing for City. Uh, it appears like he's he's making quite the impact so far. Yeah. Um, City were very, very, very happy to get him for, for £20 million up front in summer. Um, they kind of, yeah, had liked him for a while, like a lot of clubs, and have been watching him and took advantage of the fact that he only had a year left on his contract and, and Valencia weren't in the best the best shape, so happy to agree that fee. He, he wasn't actually used much before the international break, uh, the first one in October, but he he, um, he got goals and assists and he's been used um, in this centre-forward role. Now Jesus Naguero have been out and... He, he creates chances and he gets goals and he gets assists and you know that is ultimately what you want from from you, the person who's furthest up the pitch for you. Um, you know he's very good technically. He's kind of learning quickly and I think he's played himself very much into contention for this Liverpool game. Whereas at the start of this set of fixtures, you'd uh, you probably wouldn't have put him in the team. I'd, I'd still think that Guardiola will go with Jesus up front um, on Sunday against Liverpool. But um, Torres, in the last few games where he's played centre-forward, he's kind of tired in the second half and not been as effective. Now, against Olympiacos, when Jesus came on, Torres moved back out to the right, which is his more natural position. And uh, he looked very lively again. So... Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him line up on the right and really offer that kind of direct threat that, that Leroy Sane used to give the team. You know, Torres, Jesus, who you mentioned there, Foden, Ake, uh, Diaz, it, it does feel like Pep's building or starting to build the City side for the future, you know, in the, the next stage. But, you know, his own future beyond this season just still seems to be striving a bit of mystery, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, there's no decision on if or when uh, he will make a decision on whether he wants to to stay or leave. Um, it, we're in uncharted territory anyway because he's never been at a club for a, for a fifth season. No, no. Um, I mean, the, there's always this thing hanging over that Kat, he's never stayed to rebuild the team. So will he stay and and rebuild this team? Um, and the answer still is we don't know. Um, I, I many of us have asked. The question of him and others to say, sort of, do the club need to be putting a deadline on when they need him to make a decision? Because it it seems, you know, odd that they could go the whole year without, um, you know, a club as well run as City would allow the manager to run down his contracts without giving any inclination as to whether he'd stay or not. Because, you know, Mauricio Pochettino has been linked with 
uh, United today. Um, you know, the, the good coaches that are available may not be available um, when or if the decision comes that Guardiola decides to leave. And you'd like to think that there will be more planning put into wooing the best managers in the game than just picking up the phone the day Guardiola leaves and saying, oh, do you want to come now? Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there is, you know, a lot of uncertainty. Uh, whether that bleeds into the team performances, um, I don't know. You know, many people insist not. It's kind of an easy thing to say without necessarily having any proof for it. So, you know, I'm not sure you can you can say that, but I think you can definitely say that it would um, certainly affect City's performance in the transfer market because Guardiola is quite clearly a draw for for anyone who wants to come. Uh, Nathan Aki said this week, you know, he hopes he stays because he was one of the reasons that he he chose City. So, yeah, there is, there is that uncertainty. Um, but for the moment, they kind of seem to be keeping it um, under wraps and, and stopping, you know, not allowing it to, to affect too much. But... Um, I mean, it's a strange situation, but City have put so much into getting Guardiola and to making sure Guardiola has everything he needs. So they're kind of, you know, they they have to play by his rules, basically. Yeah, and he's brought the he's brought the results to say the least. And like, there is that kind of you, know, you read reports about why he only stayed three, four years at Barca and Bayern, and as you rightly say, he's, in, he's into a fifth season at City because he's so intense and. You know, we, the players, not that they have enough of him, but they, they put so much in, into that, like, three, four, five seasons. Has there ever been that feeling in in Manchester from, from the players or even the fan base that maybe a fresh face is, is needed next season? Not because of because he's not an unbelievable manager, because he, he clearly is, and he, he clearly brings those results. But is, is that, what is the kind of feeling in the fan base? Are they desperate for him to stay, or would they understand it if he wants to move on? Um, yeah, I think there are more fans who are now sort of questioning the logic of allowing him to have no date on when he decides whether he wants to stay. Um, you know, obviously people would like him to to stay. He's come out and said a few sort of crowd-pleasing things about wanting to stay. Um, but the, the blunt reality is that if he told the club he wanted to stay... Um, then they would have a contract ready for him within two minutes for him to sign. So, you know, if he really wants to stay, he can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, when they were losing heavily at Leicester and, you know, they, they drew at Leeds, so sort of dropped points from two of the first three three games. And there were questions about whether it was all getting um, a bit stale. But I think largely, you know, it, it's still an absolute treat to um to have Guardiola in charge for the fans and you know they know that while he's in charge they're going to have a chance of winning multiple trophies every every season and also there are kind of you know how do you follow Guardiola there are a number of managers that could come in and uh, could well be successful but nobody I would say there's not a manager in world football that guarantees success like Guardiola so and the football has also been very good to watch for for years so um, I mean yeah people are still kind of making up their minds about this season um, and it, it's probably been the least entertaining of his, his four so his five so far to be honest but um, you know he's got enough 
credit in the bank with enough fans, I think, that they're still um, still happy with how things are going. Yeah, I think Liverpool fans are, are exactly the same. You know, Klopp, he's signed a contract. There's no speculation over his con- <coughs> uh, his future. And he's, he's got Liverpool to the top again this season. But just interested from a City perspective, you know, Liverpool, do you think they're more vulnerable uh, now than maybe they were the previous two seasons when they've almost been flawless and, and very much like City as well, you know, they, they dropped off last season, but the two seasons before like that, they were absolutely unbelievable. Are you seeing any kind of similarities with what you've seen of Liverpool this season that maybe, just maybe, they could be got at? Yeah, I think City and Liverpool are both sort of more similar than they've ever been um, coming into this one than sort of certainly the last the last few seasons um, and it I, I, I hate to be boring but it seems to just be down to the the schedule um, yeah. <laughs> and the fitness of the players and the schedule is so unrelenting you know I think Liverpool have already shown enough this season to suggest that they will challenge for the title and be right up there and that is you know important because it wasn't it's not a given of any um, any champions, really. Um, <clears throat> City are the only team in the last decade to to retain it, aren't they? So it, it's more normal for uh, for champions to slacken off. We haven't seen that, I don't think, mentally from Liverpool, and you know they're still showing the resolve to come from behind and win games. They are, you know, they're not immune to to the problems of it's harder when you're champions because more teams put more into beating you um, and I think they've certainly from an outside perspective um, the results would suggest they've not been as good defensively um, as they were and that was the real cornerstone I think to them uh, to them winning the title um, that idea that they they couldn't be got at um, so I think from from that point of view they're, they're a bit more vulnerable um, but from the same you know, on the other side, City are less good in attack. Um, so I, I think it, it's going to be... I think City need to win the game a lot more than Liverpool need to win the game um, because, you know, trailing is a lot worse than being in front. Um, and, you know, you think back to this game last November and uh, all the controversy with the, the Alexander-Arnold handball mm-hmm. and you think, you know, if, if that... I mean, the City goal wouldn't have stood even if it had been a judged handball by Alexander-Arnold, but City had made such a good start to that game. If they had won uh, at Anfield, how different might the season have been? We'll never know, but you can't deny that sort of Liverpool beating City in the manner that they did was was an important part in them picking up that momentum and uh, and just coasting unchallenged, really, to the, to the title. So I think City very much need to win. Um, Liverpool could get away with with losing, I think, um, because they are the champions. They've got that um, credit in the bank and they'd still be ahead on points. So it's more important for, for City. So more important for City probably leads me to my last question. What do you reckon your verdict will be for, for Sunday? <laughs> um, oh, it will be tight. I, I think they're both in a funny position as well because, you know, City haven't had any strikers and um, Ferran Torres has done quite well through the middle and Liverpool have got Jota, um, you know, threatening to break up that attacking trident that has been so sort of unbreakable for, 
for Liverpool. So that there's a there's a hint of change in the air. I think Liverpool with Jota might be more threatening than um, than City than uh, Liverpool without him. So I'm kind of leaning towards a one-all, two-all, sitting on the fence. But I, I don't think either defence is good enough to to keep a clean sheet. But I kind of think that, um, yeah, especially on the back of Liverpool's win in midweek, they will certainly have enough um, not to lose. So I, I think it'll be a good game. Um, and yeah, it will be very tight and well contested as as these games always are. Yeah. But I don't think it'll be anything like the five nil, four nil. Sorry, um, when they last played. Yeah, no, I think well, probably Liverpool haven't been having a party have they, for the week before <laughs> like that one. I think, to be honest, I think Liverpool fans would uh, would probably take a, take a shake your hand right now at a draw and, <laughs> and keep that in intact. But uh, Simon, yeah, thank you very much for for joining us on this podcast, mate. Enjoy the game and uh, be great to catch up with you later in the season with uh, the Anfield return match. Yeah, no worries. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red Channel.